And for those of you who are able, um, I would ask that you stand in honor of God's word as I read from Luke 2. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. Then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Anne. Good morning, everybody. Would you, uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we praise you and thank you for uh, bringing us here to this place this morning. And as you have called us here uh, to worship, uh, to worship you and, and to be with you, uh, to glory in your presence, we ask that you would also speak to us. Uh, meet every single person here in the places we find ourselves this morning, O oh God. And we ask, uh, as we do every week, that you would take your, your word by your spirit and that you would make it real to every single person here. Uh, show us Jesus and his grace and change us by it. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, there is a, a video on YouTube titled The Selective Attention Test. Uh, it's from research by Daniel Simons and Christopher Chabri. And there are six people passing two basketballs. Three people are wearing black shirts, and three are wearing white shirts. And the viewer is instructed to count the passes made by those wearing white shirts. And then about 30 seconds later, a question pops up on the screen, and you're asked, how many passes did you count? The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? The video then rewinds and then plays, and a person wearing a gorilla suit casually strolls through the video. And uh, in the first time you watch it, it is scarily easy to miss the gorilla. You know, there's something very uncomfortable about watching it back and realizing that this thing was there the whole time. And, uh, and that is like the heart of these guys' research. What they say is this. Um, that, that we think we see ourselves and the world as they really are, but we're actually missing a whole lot, like a gorilla. And uh, 
they're, they're trying to argue, like in a subversive and, and kind of comical way, that we should be less sure of ourselves. And, and I bring all that up because in today's passage, we find out that Jesus went missing. <laughs> and I think he went missing for a very similar reason as these researchers are trying to point us towards. He went missing that we might find everything new in him. That you and I might become new in him. Sometimes Jesus is beyond our perception for our good. Our scripture for today is an invitation to seek Jesus out and feel the the tension and the mystery and the wonder of all that that means. Our, Our story begins with important information about Mary and Joseph. In verses 41 and 42, we are told that Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover as was their custom. And one of the things this keys us into is the type of parents Mary and Joseph were seeking to be. They were seeking to be faithful and devout Jews. They, they were religious in the best sense of that word. They were a genuinely pious family. What we are to know is that Jesus was growing up in a family that prioritized corporate worship. You know, even if that meant making a, a long and yearly trip to Jerusalem, you know, with its costs and, and the challenge of journeying on foot, with its drain on time and resources, you know, we can imagine them walking to Jerusalem, talking about the scriptures as, as their parents had done with them, as their parents had done with them. Jesus was growing up in a family that sought to listen carefully to the scriptures and talk about them in the everyday circumstances of life. And they did this to embody Israel's story. It was a family whose, whose whole life, you know, their habits and their structures, the rhythms and seasons were shaped by God's redemptive story. Jesus grew up in a family that was seeking to do, you know, the very thing that we as a church family are, are seeking to do, to, to love the Lord our God with our minds, our bodies, and the whole of our lives. They were living into the story of the Creator God who redeems a people who then seek to live totally devoted to Him. And the part of the story that they were living into at this moment was Passover. If if you recall, Passover was the culmination of God's powerful work to deliver His people from slavery in Egypt. The Israelites were instructed to place the blood of the Lamb on the door of their house so that their firstborn son would be spared. And after that, God's people were instructed to keep the Passover each year. And that's exactly what Mary and Joseph and 12-year-old Jesus do. You know, nothing out of the ordinary happens. By all appearances, it was just another successful Passover. God's faithfulness and mercy are celebrated. The lamb was sacrificed, and then the people would head back home. And they'd start making plans to do it again next year, as they had always done. And there is something wonderfully mundane about this, something very normal and ordinary and repetitious. There there is a subtle beauty to living an everyday consecrated life to the Lord. And that's what we as a church have spent a lot of time discussing and, and working on this fall. You know, we serve a God who doesn't just show up when things are exciting, but a God who is ever present. A God who is with us when we buy groceries 
and change diapers, when we get surgery, when we brush our teeth, when we lose our keys, lose our job, and lose a loved one. God isn't an emotional high or some spiritual ecstasy. God is the God who is with us anytime, any place, and, and everywhere. But that doesn't mean that God is static, and neither are we. He is leading us somewhere. You know, habits and rhythms, structures and seasons are, are part and parcel of our faith, but they are a means and not the end. The goal, the goal for God's people has always been Jesus, which means that sometimes God surprises us. And if that sounds a little bit confusing, then we're in good company because Mary and Joseph were in for quite a big surprise as well. As, as they were going about their everyday faith, you know, heading back home, Mary and Joseph supposed Jesus was with them. You know, they're living their faithful, ordinary life, and they assumed Jesus was somewhere in the caravan with their relatives. It, it wasn't uncommon in those days to have a large group making a religious trip on foot. And, and just like when we carpool places, right, the grown-ups want to go with the grown-ups and the kids with the kids. And we're like, hey, you know, at, at around lunchtime, we're going to meet up at Chick-fil-A down the road. And so they get to the checkpoint that they had agreed upon. And to their surprise, Jesus is missing in action. And if that wasn't surprising and distressing enough for them, Notice the information we, the reader, are given. Verse 30, or 43 excuse me, says, The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Jesus is the subject of that verb. He chose to stay in Jerusalem. He chose not to go back with them to Nazareth. He decided not to go with his mom and dad. In other words, Mary and Joseph did not lose Jesus. He gave them the slip. He did something to stir the pot a little bit, to cause some tension, to create a little bit of confusion. When I was about uh, five years old, my, my parents forgot me at church. And uh, I don't really have like a conscious memory of it, but when they, when, when they came back, I get this is what they told me. When they came back to find me, I was really upset. And in order to, like, pacify me, they said, Mackenzie, even Jesus' parents left him at church. <laughs> I was talking to my mom about that when I was home for Christmas. <laughs> uh, but as I found out while I was preparing for this sermon, they didn't. You know, this isn't that common story, you know, of, like, misplacing your kid for a second at the grocery store or the playground or at church. This story is more disorienting than that. You know, that experience is horrible when you misplace your kid. But this story is something a little bit different. It's, it's a story that's surprising. It's a story that is meant to fuel our longing for Jesus. Notice the repetition of that word searching in verses 44 and 45. Mary and Joseph they realize Jesus is missing, and they begin to panic. You know, like Catherine O'Hara in Home Alone, Mary probably had this gnawing feeling in her stomach. Something's off. Something is missing. I just can't remember what I left. And, and they begin searching for Jesus among their family and friends. Have, have you seen him? Have you seen Jesus? Do you, do you know where Jesus is? 
you, you can imagine, like, there's probably that uncle, because it's always the uncle who's like, well, did you check the last place you left him? And then after three agonizing days, they find Jesus in the temple of all places, having a seminar with the religious leaders. And, and a crowd is beginning to form in order to hear the kid who can hold his own with the PhDs of his day. But Mary and Joseph are less than impressed. Mary says, Son, why have you treated us so? We have been searching for you in great distress. And can't you get a sense of the disorientation she must have been feeling, you know? They, they just went from this ordinary, habitual trip to Jerusalem to, to panic-stricken and anxious and fearful. Three days of searching for Jesus. Just think about all the things that must have been running through Mary's mind. You know, she, she had been given wonderful promises about Jesus, right? Who he was and, and what kind of person he would be, what he would accomplish, Things like, the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. Jesus would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And with those promises, you know, you could just imagine the uncertainty she lived with. You know, there's, there's like the tip of the iceberg. And then there's everything under the surface, all the unknowns, all the questions about what raising the Son of God is going to mean for her, for him, for the world. She, she is seeking to live, you know, a faithful and ordinary life while always, always knowing that her boy is different. She has always known that he's a little bit outside of her control. She has always known that he, he didn't ultimately belong to her, but to the Lord. You know, like, like Samuel was to Hannah in the Old Testament, consecrated to God, utterly devoted to him. And that is all the more true of Jesus, which is both astonishing and challenging. And I wonder if you can relate. As you seek to live a faithful and ordinary life, is it harder than you imagined it would be? Have you found yourself asking God why? Why is this so challenging? Why can't I knock this bad habit? Why does it seem like my zest for pleasing you goes bland so fast? Why, why can I see the person I long to be and yet I can't seem to become it? And I think those are the type of questions Luke wants us to be asking at this moment. You know, just to, to pause and to sit in the tension of not always knowing what Jesus is up to. You know, don't we have moments where we wonder where Jesus is at? What are you doing, Jesus? Those, those are questions. Those are questions that God's people ask. Those are questions that are okay for God's people to ask. To be in a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that everything that happens makes immediate sense right away. It doesn't mean he won't surprise us sometimes. It doesn't mean it's always easy. To be in a relationship with Jesus can at times be disorienting. You know, like when the surgery didn't work and they need to do it again. 
or when a kid is, is wandering away from the faith, when existential pain keeps you up at night, when, when people seem to be leaving the church in droves, when, when the relationship that was supposed to be one of, of true and deep intimacy feels, feels more like two business partners than the two becoming one flesh. Where are you, Jesus? What are you doing, Jesus? Or as Mary said it, Son, why have you treated us so? We have been searching for you in great distress. And then Jesus looks at them and says, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Which kind of sounds like Jesus is saying, What took you so long? Instead of Jesus meek and mild like, oh, I'm so sorry, mom and dad, that must have been really hard for you, we see Jesus confident and calm and kind of irritating. And that does not immediately feel great. You know, not for Mary and Joseph and not for us either, right? Like, we just got done opening up our hearts and asking all sorts of vulnerable questions to Jesus. And that's his response. That response might make us feel more disoriented yet. You know, it's like, it's, it's like a joke, a running joke for Mary and Joseph. He, he looks at Mary and says, hey, remember, what's worse than, than looking for Jesus? And she turns to him and says, finding him. Because we are finding the one who is beyond our comprehension. Sometimes, maybe often, he says things that, that don't make sense right away. Does things that don't make sense right away. That's, that's the mystery that Luke is opening up to us in this story. The mystery that Mary and Joseph are living out firsthand. The mystery that you and I are seeking to live into. Jesus is not just a normal kid. He is at the very same time God with us. The God who is both transcendent and imminent, both near and far, now enfleshed and still eternal. The King who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away. Who, when we find him, is teaching us even now at this very moment that there's always more to know. Always more to learn, more to grow into. Paul says that we see in a mirror dimly, but one day we will see face to face. We, we know him in part, but he has already known us thoroughly. He, he is a master teacher who wants to draw us further and further in. And so Jesus says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? which could just as easily be translated, did you not know that it is necessary for me to be about my father's business? It is necessary, he says. What, what he is doing and what he has come to do must be done. It is necessary. In other words, Jesus is not being rebellious or disobedient to his parents. His ultimate obedience lies with his heavenly father. He's not causing them discomfort and confusion for no reason. He's preparing them 
for what they already know, even if they don't yet fully understand it. He is the Savior of the world. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. He will be a light to the Gentiles, which means that even as a child, he gives his people what they need. Even as a preteen, he is the shepherd of his people. He is giving Mary and Joseph what they need, what they are going to need to grow into as his life continues to be pointed like an arrow at the cross. He cares for them, and he cares for us. And sometimes that care comes in unexpected ways. And this unexpected moment opens all of us up to the most wonderful surprise of all. Jesus has come to fulfill Israel's story. He is the fulfillment of all the promises God has made, which means that as important as the habit of Passover was, it was given in order to lead people to himself. It was a pointer to him. If I can say it this way, Jesus had been hiding in the Passover from day one. Hiding in plain sight. Which reminds us that God surprises us, perplexes us, makes us scratch our heads, that we might find everything new in Jesus. Mary and Joseph stand at the forefront of, of God's people who seek to understand the mystery that Israel's God has come to dwell in our midst. Mary carried and then cared for the boy that would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. She didn't just hold a baby. She held God, who at the same time was holding her. She gave birth to him who came to give her and all of us new birth. Jesus changes everything. What is old will become new, new in him. The old habit of Passover will give way to a brand new one. And the pain and the confusion of the cross will give way, will be the way to eternal life. That's what Jesus is up to. He is, he is moving us from an ordinary orientation of life to a new orientation, which means that between those two, is a disorientation. Seeking Jesus is, is not just for those exploring the faith, but for us inside of it as well. The tensions are part of God's good providence. This is how our shepherd leads. This is how our wise teacher instructs, which means for us, asking questions is not abnormal. Difficulty is not a sign that things are not working. In Christ, that is the way they become whole. If things are hard, if the habits don't seem to stick right away, if things are not making complete sense, something strange is not happening. Jesus might seem to be hiding, but it is for our good. He isn't lost, nor has he lost us. He is inviting us to be found new in him. Becoming new in Jesus is meant to be a challenge. 
finding everything new in Jesus is not easy. And it's not meant to be. It's not a challenge to dishearten us or, or to discourage us, but, but to make us truly free to love God and to love our neighbor. The tension is meant to train us in His love. Consider something that you're truly passionate about, you know, be it, be it running or baking or a foreign language or jazz or business. You know, wasn't it a challenge to get really good at it? Wasn't it difficult? You know, isn't raising children just an arduous task? And yet, what wouldn't we do for our children? Are you not surprised at the amount of work that is required to make a relationship good? And yet, when we experience, you know, true intimacy, you realize that the struggle was worth it. It's, it's that way. It's that way for all sorts of things in life, In it? The things that most matter are challenging, and the challenge is part of why they matter. Persevering is part of the reward. The struggle increases love. The tension is built in for our good. Augustine said this about the hard work of listening to Scripture. He said, The hidden truths arouse longing. Longing brings on certain renewal. Renewal brings sweet inner knowledge. By these means we are filled with delight. Or to say it in the way that we normally speak, we don't love that which comes easy. We love, we truly love that which is hard that which calls us to become more, to become new. A new kind of doctor, a new kind of parent, a new kind of patient, a new kind of person. And it is that quality, that kind of love that Jesus is working in us. It's not something he does from afar but something he does within. His spirit is at work in us even now, and he will bring us to completion. Have you considered what it, what it means to have his love at work in you? Do you think it was easy for Jesus to distress his mother and father? Do you think it was easy for Jesus to be abandoned by all his friends? Do you think it was easy to bear the penalty for sin? Do you think it was easy to be the true Passover lamb? No. No, loving us was hard. It was arduous. It required the shedding of blood. And that is precisely why his love is true and sure and effectual for you and for me. It is why nothing can separate us from his love. Because it is his love. We were not easy to get. We were bought with a price, the very life of the Son of God. We are his passion, his treasure, his joy, his delight. That is the kind of love that Jesus has for you and is at work in you right now. When you are seeking, when you are asking for mercy, when you feel the dissonance, the tension, the disorientation, when you are asking God how long, you do so as one that belongs to Him. You belong to the love that will not let you go. 
You are his and he is your shepherd. He is your teacher who knows exactly what he is doing, even if that doesn't make sense to you right away. That is why it says Mary treasured up all these things in her heart because her distress did not last forever. Her boy, who was also the son of God, loved her and continued to make himself known to her. That There would be more hard days ahead, right? There would be another three days where that would be more agonizing than the three days that she had just experienced. But eventually and slowly over time, she got it a little bit more. God is, is beyond us and God is near us as she had heard her whole life. And this creator God has come to us, has come to her in Jesus. Jesus is, is truly the embodiment of Israel's God and he is the, the creator who wrote himself into the story. And he entered in to sacrifice himself for us in love. He, he created some distance between himself and her, so that way she could have him forever. He is the Passover lamb who died and now lives. All those trips to Jerusalem, that normal and ordinary life of faith, formed her for love, which led her to Jesus. And that will be our story too. Little by little, we are becoming new in him, the one who gave his life for us will continue to give his life to us. We are being trained in love that surprises and that surpasses knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Everything found in him will be new. And that is a mystery that is, that is so profound and so far beyond us, something that you and I will continue to grow into. It is certainly true. Would you now uh, join me in a time of confession as we do each week? Um, we take a moment to, to turn to God in confession, uh, not to rub our faces in our sins or our shortcomings in the ways that living this ordinary life of faith can be hard. Rather, we do this because we have been found and are secure in Jesus. We can be honest with him about the ways that we fail to love him and the phase that we fail to love our neighbor because we are his and he cares for us and he loves us.